Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. And Jesus said to them, What things? Like he doesn't know. Have you ever walked into a conversation when uh, we place ourselves into the middle of an ongoing discussion? We usually ask to be brought up to speed. We want to know what's being talked about. We want to know all the details. Who is it about? Is it happening now? And what is going to happen? In the realest sense, when we encounter our gospel text today, Jesus uses himself to pull us into the very same conversation. The talk and discussion of those disciples on the Emmaus Road isn't ours until Jesus steps into it for us. Jesus effectively hides himself to their recognizing him so that the summary of the gospel would once more be laid before us all once again. That we would step into the living word of God and be brought up to speed on the promises made by the prophets and kept in Christ. So, what things? What things, asks Jesus, have happened? And how is Jesus bringing us once again into the middle of his story? Well, as we open up the text, we encounter those two disciples. They're not of the eleven. That would be kind of like the inner circle. But of the outer circle of disciples, we have these two uh, who are there. And they're going from from, uh, Jerusalem to this Emmaus village. And already in the text, we have this great movement away from the city of Jerusalem, the city of God. Since Jesus is dead, Jerusalem just may as well be dead. The city of God is now godless. And their hope that they had stored up in Jesus is now dashed to pieces. And here they are, like any of us would be, walking this road, talking about all these things that had happened, all the life of Jesus leading up to his untimely death, trying to understand the puzzle and to piece everything together. And they'll ultimately get there. Actually, Jesus gets them there. They'll ultimately then return to Jerusalem with great joy. But right now, right now, their conversation is joyless and confusing and befuddling even to them. The Emmaus Road gives a sense that nothing is new in a fallen world. We can have everything before us, even experience life's changes and the changing events all around us and still be left trying to figure things out. Fortunately, fortunately, God's word is clear when our perception of things are cloudy. And that's especially true and evident right here in our text. What the Emmaus-bound disciples will come to confess is Jesus and his resurrection. What they assume everyone has heard about. What they assume is written in stone and final. That is all going to soon come to a halt. It's going to be changed. 
what they assume everyone has heard about, the death of Jesus, will be turned on its head. Soon they will discover that all the things that they know have changed. And that's what's actually, uh, that's what's actually happening right here. As Jesus draws near to these disciples, that's exactly what happens here in God's house as he draws us near to his every word and his gracious sacrament. When Jesus draws near, what we think we know becomes irrelevant. So there they are, talking about things that they think are relevant. Talking and discussing over and over again. Jesus, in the midst of their trying to figure things out for themselves, draws near to them. And not only does he draw near to them, but he goes with them. He's with them in the midst of them trying to figure everything out. And yet in the midst of this, you would think that he would open their eyes to see it's him. But that's not what happens. Jesus keeps their eyes from recognizing him. It is as St. Paul will, will pen. We walk by faith and not by sight. Jesus has kept these disciples from seeing to believe. It's only at the end of our text that they will believe from faith what their eyes have beheld. God's word has you in mind. We too believe from faith delivered to us in holy baptism. And we too believe from faith received in the Lord's Supper. And it's then that we truly see with godly eyes and understand with godly hearts all that we encounter in this world. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So what does Jesus do but comes into the conversation of the traveling disciples? What does our Lord do but he brings us into the conversation by his every word, the word of everlasting life. It's quite comical in a way in which Jesus intercedes, interrupts this conversation. He asks, what's this conversation that you guys are holding uh, with each other along the way? What you talking about? As if he doesn't know. One of my favorite things in all of scripture are the instances where God is asking rhetorical questions. The rhetorical Lord in and throughout the scriptures is a marvelous revelation that God desires that we confess back to him what is already evident. Sin and faith. Most famously in the Old Testament is the Garden of Eden. God draws man's sin out. He asks questions of them to bring out a confession of sin. Where are you? He knows where they are. Who told you that you were naked? He already knows about that. Have you eaten of the fruit that I've told you not to? He knows that they have. What have you done? He knows the weight he knows the burden that has been placed upon his creation. He already knows the answer. He simply wants you to confess it. And most famously in the New Testament, we have Peter's grand confession, his confession of faith. Jesus asks his disciples, who do the people say that I am? As though he doesn't know who he is. Peter replies, 
after so many other illustrations of what the people might think and know, or maybe even find the certainty in uh, an array of different options of who Jesus could be, Peter lands on the improbable, which is the most important and the most revealing. You are the Christ. Our Lord asks questions that we may confess back to him the depths of our sin, the bottomless nature of our sinful condition, and the fulfilling and overflowing grace that is ours by faith alone in Christ alone. And so when we encounter the disciples on the Emmaus Road, their confession to these rhetorical questions is finally a sad confession of confusion. Really, it highlights their sin of unbelief. But they are so solidified in the things that they know are true that they are unwilling to budge to see anything else. And so they're even willing to push back against their new travel companion and ask him a question, which they believe is quite rhetorical in nature. Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened? Of course Jesus knows. They've happened to him and for you. Their confession is left as a visible, incomplete puzzle that we are brought into. So what do they do? They do exactly what we all do when we're trying to figure things out. We talk through it, either in our head or out loud. And so they retell the events to Jesus, the events that lead to to this Jesus' crucifixion. They talk about Jesus being a mighty prophet in word and deed before God and all people. They talk about the chief priests and the rulers who act as executioners of Jesus and condemn Jesus to death. And this is why they're hopeless. Their Lord, they're supposed to be Lord, is crucified. The once hopeful believers are now hopeless. And they turn inward for answers. They turn inward to understand their unbelief. They had hoped that Jesus would be their redeemer. And now it seems that all the events, well, they leave them hopeless. Unfulfilled in the promises that they thought were theirs in Christ. Jesus drew near to these disciples and uses his rhetorical questions to draw out their sin, to examine their hearts, to point out their unbelief. And that ultimately displays where we are along this Emmaus road. At the hint of despair, we disperse, turning inward for answers, We talk and discuss over and over again, but we have and and come to no real answers. It isn't until our Lord comes to us along the road and joins in our, our hopeless flesh that we come to an understanding not by sight, but by faith and through the means of grace that Jesus gives his church. It's quite a fascinating thing. The Emmaus disciples have everything that they need to see Jesus. They have all the events known to them. 
and they repeat it back. They even realize that it is the third day since these things have happened. But in this third day, which should hold for them and the whole church a time of great joy and celebration, they cannot see the evidence for what it is. The women say that he's alive. The disciples can't find Jesus' body. But as we have seen, knowledge doesn't mean a faithful trust. So what does Jesus do but call out their foolish unbelief and doubt? He begins by preaching to them about the prophets and Moses. He points to them about the necessity of Christ's suffering and death that will and ultimately leads to his glory. It's worth pointing out that even on this day of resurrection, Jesus is still teaching. He is our good teacher. He is our Lord. He is the giver of all good gifts. And he takes the travel time to start at the beginning. Our Lord is patient and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love with his disciples. He interprets to them all the scriptures concerning himself. We have all around us the marks of creation, the signs of prophecy, and the promises of Christ. Yet even with all these evidences, we are still sinners foolish to the joy that is ours now. Jesus teaches us to trust in his word and to believe in his promises. The promise of the resurrection is real. And Jesus is risen. And since Jesus is risen, it's foolish to live like he isn't. Jesus has you in mind in this text. Jesus has always had you in mind. The victory that he wins on the cross is now given to you as your victory that he has won in your place. This is the great joy that Jesus wants for his disciples. He opens their eyes to their joy through the meal that he's going to share with them. He makes the joy known in the breaking of the bread. Before his death, Jesus institutes the Holy Supper for the forgiveness of sins. And now after the resurrection, the Holy Supper once again marks the occasion. And there they were at table. The bread is taken, blessed and broke and given, just as it is right here, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. And in this instant, their eyes are opened and they recognize him, just as Jesus comes to you in the same means of grace to give you sight and to fill your heart with the forgiveness of sins and faith in his everlasting word. The Lord's Supper is the greatest gift from Christ's death and resurrection. From it, the Emmaus-bound disciples return to Jerusalem and they share the joy of Jesus' appearing to them in this way. The godless city now has reason for hope again. You know Jesus in the breaking of the bread too. This sacrament helps us recognize Jesus for who he really is. It gives us the real Jesus and his real forgiveness. When, the, when he disappears from the disciples' sight, they know that Jesus is still there in the bread. What seems lost and beyond recognition 
through the eyes of foolish sinners, is by faith trusted as true and as real as the resurrection itself. No matter how much we talk and discuss something, we cannot know everything. Jesus knows that. And in his love for us, gives us himself to us in this sacrament that we would know him through faith and have securely the forgiveness of all of our sins. You don't have to know much to recognize that's everything worth knowing. There is, in the Emmaus report, the unfolding of some very compelling news. Jesus is truly in the breaking of the bread, and Jesus is truly risen from the dead. That's enough. That's enough for us to be amazed and ponder the significance of the road to Emmaus. When Jesus, in the breaking of the bread, reveals to the Emmaus disciples that, they had, that he had been with them all along, you too must consider the weight and the gravity and the amazement of this event for yourselves. That even before and ever since the resurrection, Jesus has been with you all along also. And if Jesus is with you, what more is there to talk about? than to say, come, take eat, take drink. This is the true body and true blood of Christ our Lord, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. And for those at home who await the day that they too would receive this holy sacrament again, peace be with you. Rejoice in the gift of forgiveness, that by grace through faith you believe the word of God, and confess back with the whole church the Easter proclamation. Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia.